you, Father, for the, uh, the faith and the growth that I've seen in my own children lately. Thank you for the servants in the other room right now um, and those who volunteer regularly with our kids, Father, that they, could, that they could learn your word, that they could grow. I just thank you. Um, thank you for the, the many stories I know of in this body right now of people growing in you that I, I can't share, but I thank you. Um, you are at work. You are growing marriages. You are growing parents. You are growing us, um, and I just thank you for that. I pray that that would spill over to the community around us, that others would find this life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I would ask for your patience. I mean, you can hear some coming through that door. It's great. <laughs> Our kids are a big deal. And we want you to know that. The kids are a big deal to us. And we want the kids to thrive. We want them to do well. Our spirit here at Common Ground isn't put the kids in the other room and make them be quiet. Our spirit really is, if we have to cancel this so they do well, I would do that <laughs> because our kids are that, that big of a deal. So um, we're going to work on the sound on that door, but, but uh, enjoy what you do here because good things are happening in that room. We have wonderful servants, and our kids are growing, and, and it's exciting. So thank you for that. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I wasn't much of a reader. Uh, my parents tried to encourage me to read. I didn't get into that when I was older, but the first novel I ever read was The Hobbit. And it was big. It was a thick novel. And I was in, I think, junior high. Um, and I read The Hobbit, and I loved it. And then I went on, I read The Lord of the Rings, and I read the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and there's something about those books, those stories that always caught my attention, that drew me out. And it was the idea of the fantastic. It was the desire for the fantastic. Like now, what are, what are probably the most popular books for the last eight years? Harry Potter. <laughs> they're popular. Why? Because there's something fantastic about them. And, and yeah, what other books do you like to read? The, the, the ones with like the, the Egyptian stuff, whatever, right? Yeah, you read those. <laughs> but it, the, the, the fantastic. Percy Jackson, that's what I'm talking about. That's Greek mythology. Okay. But, but, but every kid, just remember back when you were a kid, every kid is either a superhero or a princess or uh, something until they grow out of it. And there's something, there's something wrong with that. There's something, I think there's something wrong with when we mature, we get beyond the fantastic. If you go into a kindergarten class, you say, who here can draw? They're all going to raise their hands. But if I were to ask this room, who here can draw? Maybe a few of us would go, oh, yeah, I can kind of draw. There's, there's just something different about a child and when we get older. But what if, what if that desire for the fantastic was put there in us on purpose. And what if maturity, as we grow, sometimes we lose some of that because we become realists, materialists. You know, it's, well, it's all about science and it's just what we have. We lose that, and I think we lose something when we lose that heart for the fantastic because it's placed in us. And, and we don't understand what is to come and what's exciting about what is to come. Uh, the book of Revelation, if you've ever read, especially chapters 21 and 22, you see a picture of what's to come, and it's fantastic. It is amazing. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God designed us with eternity in our heart. That means, that means that in every single person, there is something in there that you know you know there's something more. You know there's eternity. You know that when you die, that's not the end. Now, we can convince ourselves that when we die, that is the end. 
because we've got this science and evolution and, and all this. It sounds good, but there's something in us that says, no, that's not true. And actually, when you get into it, it, it also makes sense scientifically that that's not the end. But there's something in us, this, this heart for eternity, for the fantastic. And I, I'm, I'm spending some time on this trying to draw that. Do you remember? Do you remember being a kid and dreaming? I was Spider-Man. I would go to Grandma and Grandpa's house, and I would pull my, my stocking cap over my face and crawl around on top of the garage. Stupid. I could barely see. <laughs> but I was also Superman. So I would have a button-up shirt, and I would run through the yard, and I'd tear it off when my dad's workers got home, and I would kill him with my laser beam. The fantastic. Someday, listen, someday we are going to see the fantastic, and I think we can see pieces of it now. And this is what I want us to draw out. This is in your notes. If you're a note-taker, you, you got notes coming in, or you can get on the app, Common Ground Carson app, and do it there. But God has given each person a desire for eternity, for the fantastic. And today, Jesus is going to share how this desire can be fulfilled. We are in a series called Seek First. And it, it stems from the Matthew passage, Matthew 6, 31 through 33, where Jesus is saying, don't worry. Why do you guys worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to wear? You worry about all these things. And he says, instead, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And so last week, we saw Jesus take a few loaves and a few fish and feed probably upwards of 20,000 people with it. He did a miracle showing in Matthew 6, showing that he has the power to provide. And then we looked in the Old Testament. We saw Elijah did it. Elisha did it. Moses did it. Actually, God did it through Moses. We'll see that today. But God has no problem providing our physical needs. But we get so wrapped up in what we need. Well, we need a good job. We need all these things. And so all our energy goes into the physical rather than missing out on the spiritual. And so what Jesus says is seek first the kingdom. By the way, the kingdom is Jesus's reign and rule in our lives and hopefully then spreading out into the world around us. That's the kingdom. Someday the kingdom is going to be physical. Jesus is going to reign and rule on a real throne. It's going to be physical. But the kingdom, so seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all the rest will be given to you. And so he was talking physically there in, uh, in Matthew, seek first the kingdom. And then we saw in John 6 that he provided physically for the people, proving that that's not a big deal for him. But today we're going to go a little bit deeper. And, and this is even more exciting for me. Today, we're going to go deeper. Jesus is going to, going to go deeper into those spiritual desires we have because we have a hunger for food. We have a thirst for drink. But there's also a spiritual hunger. I think that's the eternity in our hearts that God places there. There's a spiritual hunger that we learn to ignore or we can try and fill it in other ways when only Jesus can fill it. That's what we're going to see today. This quote by C.S. Lewis, and I quoted it last week but I think it's very pertinent. C.S. Lewis says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now, that's C.S. Lewis. That's the same guy, one of, I'd say arguably one of the best Christian thinkers of the 20th century. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote all these science fiction. He was old and mature and still thinking of the fantastic. His, one of the people he looked up to most, George MacDonald. From the 1800s, he was one of those who wrote 
uh, Fantasties, I think was his book. Read some of those. There's something about those who get close to Jesus they are also drawn to the fantastic, and they dream big, and they think big. David and I were, were talking this week, and we were talking about how little we really understand. I mean, that idea of we're content with mud pies because we can't picture the rest. We don't know what the rest is going to be like. But in Revelation, John gives us a glimpse of what it is going to be. Do you realize? I mean, just think of heaven. Real quick, think of heaven. Did you picture clouds and us on, with a harp or an eternal church service? That's the way I always thought of it, and I said, I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't want, I mean, I know I should want to go to heaven, but it sounds awful. It sounds boring, because honestly, church can be boring. Um, and I'll try not to make church boring. Do you realize that's not what heaven's going to be? In the end, and you see it in Revelation, heaven and earth actually collide. We're going to live for eternity in bodies, physical bodies. Jesus, his physical body was raised new, sinless. His was always sinless, but we will have new bodies. There's something about eternity, it will be somewhat what we know. There's going to be food. We see that there's going to be food. It's going to be, and we, we can't really imagine, but I'm trying to get a glimpse, picture what is to come. Do you hunger and thirst for eternity, for what's going to be amazing, this, this sharpness of color? Some of the books that I loved, uh, The Song of Albion. Anybody ever read that? Oh, my son has. Okay. They're kind of obscure, but this college student, he, he finds this, this warp to another world. And he gets there, and everybody, you know, the men are bigger. The women are more beautiful. The, the colors are sharper. And there's just something about that that caught my attention when I was young. Of I think there's, there's something there that, of heaven. Things are just going to be better in every way and without sin. But we learn to put this out of our minds. We, we, we get distracted Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But so often we don't believe that, and so we try and fulfill our own desires here physically. Turn to John 6, please. John 6, we're going to be picking up in uh, verse 22, which is on page 987. So if you have a Bible, great, look it up. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in front of you. Here's what we're going to do. The passage we're looking through, and we're looking at a lot of verses actually today, uh, but John 6, 22 through 59, we won't read all of them. I would encourage you to look at it. Whether it's on your phone, that's fine, or in the Bible in front of you, it's not going to pop up in front here. So it, you can have audio too. That's awesome. <laughs> and you can listen to that through the week. <laughs> that's okay. Um, but, but read along. Read along in your Bible and see. We'll have other verses, and those will pop up screen, so you don't have to turn to those. But, but look at it, if you would. But we're picking up, and remember, here's what happens. Jesus had just fed 5,000 men, which is probably more like 20,000 people, did this amazing miracle. He fed them, and this is going to be the next day. Starting in John 6, 22, says this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread, after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. So the day happens, he feeds, he's, he's teaching all day, and then he feeds this probably 20,000 people. Night comes, the disciples set off across the lake, a storm comes, you, you probably know the story, Jesus walks on the water, and that's why they're confused. This is why the crowd is confused. They saw the disciples leave. 
They didn't see Jesus go. So the next day, they gather together, and they're like, where's Jesus? We can't find him. We saw the disciples leave. So then they get into boats, and they come across. And they're confused how Jesus got there. I don't know if the disciples are like, oh, he walked on the water. It was really rad. But so this is the next day, and they're looking for him. It's not the whole crowd. It's those who were left over. They're looking for him. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So they're wondering, how'd you get here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They're looking for him, and he goes right to the heart. Jesus does this all the time. He sees people's hearts. And he said, you're looking for me, not because you really want to follow me, not, but you're looking for me because you want another free meal. That's what you want. You, you want another bread miracle. You want the food. In verse 27, he said, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He exposes their motives. And this is not really our main point today, but we have to make it because it's here. Why do you come to Jesus? Last week, we saw Jesus can and will provide. Seek first the kingdom, and he'll give you what you want. So then do we come to Jesus for what he can give us? Do we come to Jesus? Is he like a slot machine? You know, do we, do we put $10 in the offering box so that we get 100 back? The, that's what these people were doing. They're coming to Jesus for what he can give them. But that's the wrong motive. We're going to see through, through this, the rest of these verses. We come to Jesus not for what he can do for us, although what he does for us is amazing, but for who he is. He is the one true God, the only God. So we come to him for that, for who he is. But these people have wrong motives. And he tells them, don't work for the food that perishes, the bread, the fish, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So Jesus now, there's going to be kind of two conversations going on. There's the one Jesus is having, and there's the one that people are hearing. Jesus takes the idea of bread, and he, he turns it spiritual. So he's talking spiritual the entire time. The people are still thinking food. I'm hungry. Let's get a free meal. We didn't eat breakfast because we thought when we got here, you would feed us again. They're thinking physical. He's thinking spiritual. So just put that in your mind, though. Whenever Jesus is speaking here, he's speaking spiritually. But the people are thinking physically. The people continue to think about and seek to fulfill their physical needs while Jesus is addressing their spiritual needs. And pay attention as we go, because don't we do this? Don't you spend all day? Don't you wake up thinking about your physical needs? Needs or just desires rather than the spiritual first? We get so consumed with food and clothing, wealth, Facebook, the things of this earth that we miss out. And this, my heart was beating hard this week preparing this because this excites me. This excites me. But yet I look at my own life forever <laughs> and I see just this, this lack of belief, this lack of going all in and this this concern that I have for the physical. And God is changing that in me, and I hope he is in you also. But look what he says. He says, work for the food that endures to eternal life. That word life, we in English only have one word for life. But in the Greek here, there's a couple words for life. There's bios, that's physical life. And that's the way we typically think of life. This is not that word. This is the word zoe. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right, but zoe. This is, this is a word that means not just eternal life, okay? It's not just that we live forever physically, which we will, but it's that we live forever real life. Zoe means genuine life, full life. 
And so that's what Jesus is talking about. You ever have a day where you had a great day and at the end you're like, that's the life. You didn't mean that's the life biologically. You know, I ate and drank today and I'm still alive. That's the life. You did something, you know, for Callie. Callie's not here so I can pick on her. That's my wife. For her to have a day where she goes, man, that was the life. It was a day when we didn't watch TV. It's a day when we did something fun with the family where Brendan jokes yesterday. Yesterday was one of those. Brendan came to the soccer game. Brendan's 17. He's a man. And Kayla is nine. Um, but Brendan and Kayla are kicking the soccer ball around. Brendan's just playing with her, and Kayla loves his attention. And so Callie's just beaming watching them play. Um, and we got to watch her play, and she did well in one game, and they got killed the other. But then go home, and let's do a puzzle together. <laughs> you know, but she would love that. For her, we're doing a puzzle. We're playing a game. At the end, Callie goes, that's the life. You know, for me, we sit on a beach all day, you know, Sand Harbor, watch the kids catching crawdads and pitching them to their eyelids and whatever. You know, for me, at the end of the day, that's the life. We just hung out. Jeremy, you've done that, huh? <laughs> he pitched them on other people. Okay, oh, on other things, earring. Um, but that's what this means, life. It's not talking about just biology. It's talking about that's the life. That's what Jesus wants us to have. Jesus wants us to have real life, full life. And when we're distracted with bios, bio, biological life, when we're distracted by that, we miss out on the deeper life that comes through relationships. First with God, but with others, we, we miss out. The work that God requires from us simply is to believe in Jesus. Belief here is synonymous with faith. Look at verse 29. 28. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So he says, work for eternal life. You know, they're probably still thinking physical here. They said, well, what are the works? What should we do? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work to believe. They had a Jewish understanding of the law, which if they really understood it, they would have understood it accurately, but, but they didn't. It's, it's a religious view, and often we also can fall into this. Their view was, what work do I need to do to make God do something good for me? So what work do we need to do to get this, this eternal food, whatever you're talking about? What work must we do? They wanted to know how to put God in their pocket. And that's what every religion will teach you. Here's what you do in order for God to do this for you. All the ancient Eastern religions, that's why they did all this pagan stuff where they would dance around, whatever, because they thought if they acted out fertility on earth, then the gods would see it, and then they would act it out because they saw them act, and it would make the gods do these things and fertilize the earth, and they would have good crops. And, and so that's very pagan, but yet that stems into even the Christian church and Jewish religion that you do certain things, God then owes you, and you'll get it back. I had a guy when I was young uh, talk about he started giving. He was learning to give, which is a good thing to give. He's like, yeah, I'm giving because then God will give me more. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> and even as a kid, I understood, I, I don't think that's right. <laughs> I think you, you give to God out of your, the overflow, but not for him to give back. It's not about works. And so there's this tension that we see here. We don't work for eternal life. We don't work for salvation. But yet, it doesn't mean that we do nothing. The work, he says, is to believe, to believe. Now, that word belief, it's not just like our, you know, we think believe. I, I believe that that chair has stripes. 
That's how we think belief. This word belief carries more of a place your faith into. That's why we say it's synonymous with faith, because it is. Biblically, belief is synonymous with faith. You believe, you entrust yourself to it. And so that's what he's saying. The work that you do is simply to believe. And look at verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They said, Moses gave our fathers manna. Remember, we talked about manna last week. When they were in the 40 years in the wilderness, God fed them for 40 years miraculously, bread from heaven. That's what they wanted. In verse 15 from last week, John 6, 15, they wanted to make him king. Maybe you've heard this called the bread king. They wanted him to be king so he could provide for them. And they're, they're saying, give us another sign. They're so simple. They can't get off the bread. But yet I look in the mirror and I am so similar <laughs> often that I believe these things about God, but yet then I stress over the things of life. They ask for a sign. And he says, I, I, you're not going to get a sign. He says, it wasn't Moses that gave them that anyway. It was my father who gave them the bread from heaven. I try and picture Jesus' heart here because I know Jesus' heart from the rest of Scripture. Jesus wants them. They want what he can do for them. They're coming to him for the wrong reasons. Do you remember that, that song, Little Boy Blue? Um, I love that song. It was one of the first ones I learned on the guitar because it was actually in my vocal range, which is not big. Um, but remember the, the son, he's growing up, and he's saying, Dad, let's go play. You know, Dad gives him a, a, a ball glove. He says, oh, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Uh, he says, not today. You know, I, I got some work to do, but, but another. He said, well, we'll get together then, son. You know, we'll have a good time then. And, and the son just wants, just wants dad. And then life goes on, and the son grows up and has a family, and now dad wants the son. And he says, son, you know, when are you coming out? Let's spend some time. He says, well, you know, the kids have the flu, and I got a lot of work to do, but we'll have a good time then, dad. We'll have a good time then. And it's just, you see the picture that the son wants the dad, but he doesn't have time. He's too busy. But all the son wants his dad, and later dad realizes that, and dad wants the son, but the son learned from dad, and now he's too busy. And I picture Jesus and our heavenly father that way. He just wants you. <laughs> he doesn't want you, what you can do for him. He doesn't want you to come for him like the kid that comes to mom and dad when they just need money. <laughs> he wants you because he loves you. He gave his life for you, so he just wants you. And so I picture Jesus, his heart here just breaking, just going, I want you. I want you. And they're just coming to him for a handout. Do we do that? Do we come to God when we want something? Or do we just love him? Our work is simply to believe. Look at verse, uh, skip forward a little bit. Um, verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And he's going to now expound this. The bread that comes from heaven, the, the food that he's talking about is Jesus himself. This spiritual desire, I started with that, right? We have eternity in our hearts. We want something bigger. The desire for the fantastic. If you have a hunger, guess what? There must be something that fills it. If you get hungry, you know a hamburger can fill it. If you're thirsty, water will do the trick. Spiritually, though, that hunger, something can fulfill it. As physical food is necessary for physical life, so spiritual food is necessary for spiritual life. And Jesus is that food. Verse 34. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, 
I am the bread of life. This is the first of seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What do you do here? Two things. Come and believe. Draw near to Jesus and believe, and you won't hunger, you won't thirst. He's not talking physical, although he will provide that. He's talking spiritual. That spiritual hunger that we have, he will fulfill it, and he will fulfill it for eternity. And right now it's imperfect because we are imperfect, but then in the future it will be perfect. This is in your notes. Belief unto salvation biblically is not a mere intellectual assent. It is active faith. Sorry, I get ahead of myself sometimes. I get excited. <laughs> and he desired that people would receive him, not simply for what he might give them, but for who he might be to them. For who he might be to them. Jesus says he is the bread of life. The only way to fulfill this spiritual hunger that we have is Jesus himself. Look at verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Notice he says, belief, again, this is the will of my Father, whoever looks on the Son and believes in Him, again, belief, you see this pattern? <laughs> belief, belief, belief. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe He died on the cross and rose again for you? And now, have you placed your faith in Him? That's what He wants, belief. You will have eternal life, and you will be raised up in the last day. Two different things. That's interesting. I find that interesting. That stuck out to me this week as I'm looking. You will have eternal life, which starts now, and you will be raised up. It's inevitable if you have eternal life that in the end you will get a new body. It's going to be sweet. But eternal life starts now. You can start experiencing, experiencing your spiritual hunger being fulfilled now when you seek first. That's why we're calling this, this series Seek First. When you seek him first, he will fill that hunger. But when he's second or third on the list, guess what? You're going to be hungry. You're still going to be hungry. You won't be fully fulfilled until he is first on that list. Seek first the kingdom. 41 through 46, we're going to skip over that. But they start struggling with that. We're just going to summarize. 41 to 46, the people are listening and they go, now we're confused. You're saying you're the bread from heaven and we must feast on you, but we know where you're from. We know your parents. We know Mary. We know Joseph. We saw you as a kid. They couldn't get it. They couldn't wrap their minds around how he came to be the one from heaven. But Jesus doesn't give up. Verse 40 says, this is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now to 47 says the same thing. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever believes has eternal life. Again, spiritual. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Now, I question why Jesus does this, but he knows more than I. Now, he starts getting what looks like somewhat vulgar, crass, to their line of thinking. He says in verse, uh, sorry, I lost my... Lost my train of thought there. 48. Sorry, 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
He will give his flesh. And then he goes on. Whoever feeds on my flesh, this is verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Is he talking about cannibalism? No, he's not. But they're confused. The Jews wouldn't eat blood. They would, they would cook their steak, well done, no blood in it. And here he's saying, drink my blood. So, I mean, this is really putting them off because they were thinking physical. But he's saying, I am true food and true drink. This is where the, the belief of transubstantiation, if you've heard of that in the Catholic Church um, and others, where when you eat the bread during communion, it actually turns into the body. It comes from this. And when you drink the cup, it actually turns into Jesus' blood. That's not what he means. <laughs> That's still thinking physical. He's talking spiritual here. Feast on him. Eat of him. There's a key in verse 56 where he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Abide, that means to live in, to dwell, to stay. Jesus wants to unite his life with us. That's what it's talking about. And we unite our life with him as we abide in him, as we feast on him. Only he can fill this spiritual hunger. Have you ever had this hunger or this thirst and had it fulfilled? I first tasted this. This is, a, this is a hard one. I'll be honest. This is hard to wrap your mind around. We have in us a desire for the fantastic, for the eternal. But it wasn't until I was 16 years old when I went on a missions trip and I was gone for two months and I spent daily time with Jesus in the Bible, in prayer, and serving him all day. That's all I did. When I came home, if I had a couple days not in the Bible, I missed him. I, I had a hunger. And so I had had the hunger before, but I had never, you know, hunger, they weren't as strong as they could have been. But after I actually tasted, I tasted of life really abiding in Jesus, I couldn't live without it. <laughs> and it's not that I didn't live without it. It wasn't that I was perfect since I was 16 of, you know, daily time with the Lord. There was times I would go a couple weeks without it, but I was starving. And if you've never spent regular time with Jesus in prayer and devotion, you don't know what it tastes like fully. Try it. Do it. You'll develop a hunger and you'll realize that he does satisfy. But he wants to fill this hunger. Only he can fill. Only he can fill. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Again, this is not just physical life forever. This is full life forever. I cannot wait. The primary purpose of these verses is to teach us how to feed on the Son of Man, to take Him into our innermost being by faith, by faith. You know, the result, as you look forward, we're not going to read those verses, but you see it later in this chapter, the result is most of them walked away. These words were too hard. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted what He could do for them, and they walked away. And Jesus then turned and he looked at his 12 disciples and he said, are you guys going to leave too? And, and you kind of picture, they said, well, these are hard words. The things that you're saying are hard, but who else has life? You're the Messiah. You have the words of life. We will stay with you. And he goes, yeah, most of you, one of you, talking about Judas, one of you will betray me. He knew, but they stayed. It was hard. It was hard for them to get. 
but they stayed, but most walked away. And listen to me, that's going to happen now. The Bible says that the way is narrow and few find it. This is going to happen now. When you go out and you start sharing about Jesus Christ in life, most will say, I want nothing to do with it because I want to be in charge. But some, some will get it, like the, the 11 disciples there. Some will, will hear it and go, some of this is hard, but I want that life. I want that life. Faith. What did he say in here over and over? He talked about belief. He talked about faith. We come to him by faith. That's how we feast, is by seeking first through faith. What is faith? There's a story that's told, and I'm not totally sure if it's true. I did find an, a, a news clipping from the early 1900s where there was a tightrope walker, and he was walking somewhere over a canyon, and there was a crowd watching, and so he did this tightrope, and he came back and he got a wheelbarrow, and he went across with a wheelbarrow, and he came back. And then he said, who here in the crowd thinks that I can carry somebody in the wheelbarrow across? And they all were like, yeah, you can do it. We believe you can do that. And he said, okay, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> You know, who, who's going to, and finally, and I think it was a reporter, finally somebody did actually volunteer. They got in. Who really believed that he could do it? Faith is getting in the wheelbarrow. Faith is not staying on the side going, I believe you can do it, but I'm not going there. <laughs> Faith is stepping into the wheelbarrow. This is what excites me about this, this seek first. You won't get it until you go all in. It's like snorkeling. If you've ever been snorkeling, you go out snorkeling, and there's those people, and I, I went when I was a kid, and I remember, there's those people that are scared of the water. Well, there's sharks down there. There's, octop there's all these crazy things, but they'll just lean over the side and put their face in. Oh, look, okay, I can see some cool stuff. Or maybe they'll dip in and, and, and then climb out real quick. But you never get the real experience until you swim out and you dive down among the coral and you see these things down there. There's fish. Uh, just amazing, amazing. I saw it once in Cozumel when I was younger. But the, the stuff that you find, but you won't see that until you actually swim out away from the boat. And it gets risky and you go deep. It's the same with the spiritual life. We won't really get it until we go all in. But yet we often, we Christians, we go through life holding on to the boat. I believe you, Jesus, but I'm still going to hold on to the boat. I'm not going to go all in. I, I know I should go all in for you, but I'm, I, I feel safer here. I don't believe that you can take care of all my physical needs and spiritual needs, so I need to work hard and stress over it myself. And we miss out. And listen, this is why I'm so excited. I'm preaching to myself. This is what God's been telling me. Derek, you're so concerned with what you need, but I'll give that to you. You just seek my kingdom. You just be obedient to me and go, and I'll give you everything you need, physically and spiritually. He'll give us what we need. Are we willing? Are we willing to feast on him? Next week... Because you may be like me and you're going, okay, now give me the how-to. Next week, we're going to be looking at uh, Seek First for Dummies. Maybe you, you know, those, those how-to books. So next week, it's Seek First for Dummies. Um, and I'm not calling you dummies. This is for me. We're going to make it kind of simple. What does it mean to truly seek God first and, and get all that we need? But again, there's this tension. We don't seek him just to get, but we place him first, and he will give us all that we need. Um, let me pray, and then we're going we're gonna to worship, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Lord Jesus Christ, um, I thank you. I thank you that you are the spiritual food that we need and that as we seek you first, we can find you. You say that whoever seeks will find, that nobody who seeks for you with their whole heart will not find you. Everybody will. But God, it starts with surrendering our life to you. Holy Spirit, 
I pray right now, stir any heart, any heart in here that, uh, that does not know you or has not believed in you, placed their faith in you, I pray that they would do that now. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Holy Spirit, stir hearts here to respond to you, to say, I believe Jesus, and I place my faith in you. Take control of my life. Jesus, I cannot wait till the eternal kingdom. I can't wait. But I know that we can get a taste of it here and now. Lord Jesus, be honored and glorified as we worship in you. In Jesus' name, amen.